Man, it's great to see everybody. Um, I pulled in from camp late last night. Uh, it was father and sons at Camp McCall. And uh, I don't know how many of you guys grew up going to Camp McCall. Like, if you're a South Carolinian and grew up in the state, you may have gone up there. But it's, it's a lot of fun, and, uh, and it's wide open. And we got in late last night, and it was, it was nonstop. Like, it was like 14,000-step days. Like, I love, hate a smartwatch, but it tells you how much. And it was mostly up. And so, because it's in the mountains, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not a zombie this morning, but I'm not all here. So, uh, coffee is good. Um, but I'm excited to be back. Like, we're excited. Abby and I, the family, we leave for vacation as soon as we're done today. And it's, it's going to be good, and it's going to be just a, a time of rest. But before I go, we wanted to, um, and we're, we're glad we get to worship today. I'm, I'm bad at taking Sundays off. Um, but we do get to take a week off this week. So, if you need anything from me this week, feel free to text someone else. I'm kidding. You can text away. If I can't answer, I won't. Uh, but we're going to talk more about prayer today. Um, kind of just to recap a little bit about last week. Um, we just kind of wanted to spend a few weeks before the summer kind of kicks off and just in response to like conversations in the past six months with people and, and kind of the, the ideas of um, either A, I really don't know how to pray or, or B, I need to do it more or I'm just not very good at it. Or things like that. Because again, like a lot of things, with the simplicity that Christ offers, we've complicated it. We've made it into a formulaic approach to um, a God that's constant and sovereign. So we've just, we've just made it harder than it is. And so over the last week, we talked about it, some do-nots. And we'll recap those briefly. And this week, we're actually going to look at when Jesus is teaching his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. Like he gave them the do-nots that we'll recap. But he said, look, when you pray, like pray like this. Just, just pray like this. And I think the danger in us reading this, what we're going to read today, is we're going to look at it, and what we're going to try to do is dissect it and make it like a how-to, a how-to-pray. But what I want us to do when we look at it, instead of a how-to, I want us to think about Jesus is not offering us a formula, but instead he's offering us a posture. He's not offering us a formula. He's offering us a posture. He's offering us a position of prayer, an attitude that we need to adopt before we ever begin to entreat the Father to do X, Y, or Z, or to hear X, Y, or Z, or to just listen to whatever we want to say. It's a place that we pray from, uh, which is going to inform what we pray. And so that's what I want us to listen to as we talk through this. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, there is kind of a parallel to this text also in Luke chapter 11. Chronologically, it comes in a different place, but same words. And Luke actually takes a couple of things and probably combines them. Matthew is also going to approach them a couple chapters later um, in chapter 7. And we're going to talk about that next week. Um, but for this week, we're just going to look at what Jesus said when he said, Look, disciples, I'm just going to tell you, when you pray... Pray like this. And so last week, before we jump into this, last week there were a couple of things. Before he told them how to pray or what to pray, like he told them how not to do it. And he used examples that they would see. He used the people that would be praying boldly and loudly and proudly on the street corners or in the synagogues. And he's like, when you pray, don't pray like them. Because the reward they're seeking is not the reward you want. The reward they're seeking is to be heard by others, to be recognized by others, to be praised by others for their great, grand, beautiful prayers. We don't want to pray like that. He said, any of you called them hypocrites? He reached back and used the word that, you know, came in the English language around 1200 B.C., but, or 1200 A.D., rather. Um, but he used a word that people would have often thought of as actors or thespians, people portraying a role that would wear masks. But at this point, it literally did become people that were saying one thing but living in another way. He said, don't be like them. They're hypocrites. 
They're praying loudly for all to see, but they're not reaching out to the intimate nature that God has offered them through prayer. Like, that's not what they're doing. And he also told them, don't be like the pagans who are just repeating unnecessarily, like uh, verbal vomiting basically is what it comes down to, or babbling. Don't be like them either. Don't think that uh, the more that you say, the more you repeat without your heart attacks, that that God's going to hear you. Like, don't be like them either. He said, instead, what you need to do is you need to understand that this relationship that's been granted to you by grace, grace to you through mercy, like it's an intimate relationship. So go to your father in private or in secret. He hears you in secret. He will reward you in secret. And we talked about this is not an indictment on us praying together. As a matter of fact, we're going to see quite the opposite of that, but it is entirely about the heart, and it's about the relationship that's intact, and it's also about the audience to whom we're praying. Like, it's not for everyone else. It is for us to God, to be heard by God, to hear back from God. It's an intimate exchange, and that's what prayer is. And so this week, on the heels of that, chapter chapter 6, verse 9a, he says, so then, instead of all of that, pray then like this. And so he doesn't say pray this, he says pray like this. And we're going to read uh, 9 through uh, 15. And 14 and 15 we'll talk about, but we're going to read through it. So if you have your Bibles, read along with me. So pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14 and 15, we're outside of this. This was Jesus' commentary on something that he just said. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We'll, We'll tackle that in just a minute. So I'm sure that a lot of you, maybe you didn't know what we were about to read, but as soon as we started reading, you're like, man, I've heard this before. Like, I've heard this. Like, I, I remember this. Like, I remember the flannel lithographs maybe from VBS as a kid or whatever it may have been. Like, I remember Backyard Bible Club because those existed down here, and they, I think we should do them again. Like, that'd be great. I'd love to have a Backyard Bible Club in our neighborhood if we actually had kids in our neighborhood, but we have a bunch of old white people. But maybe at some point they'll have their grandkids over. But, like, maybe you've heard this before. And what this is is Jesus really did give his disciples. He's like he's giving them instruction. In Luke, it's actually his disciples saying, look, hey, John, that guy that came before you that wasn't fit to unstrap your sandals, like he taught his disciples how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? And this is the instance in which he did it. He said, so when you pray, pray like this. A couple of things I want us to point out before we, before we look at like how this affects us. Um, again, it is entirely about the audience. It's entirely about the audience. Like, we say this a lot, and we should say it more, but when we read Scripture, context is everything. Like, context is everything. Knowing to whom was being spoken, why it was being said, what were the effects of that, what did it mean then, and what does it mean to us now, that's everything. That's context. In Bible college, you're going to hear a class called hermeneutics. That's what hermeneutics is, like figuring out those things. It's not a word we're going to use a lot, but this is what it is. And in this case, he was speaking to mostly Jews, like almost entirely Jews. There could have been a few floating Gentiles in there, non-Jewish folk, but for the most part, they were Jews. And what he said immediately would have been so new to them and so odd to them, a lot of them would have turned him off instantly. And do you know what the first thing he said to them was? He said, when you pray, say this, our Father. Our Father. Now, we read this, and we're like, yeah, no big deal. Like, I know, like, God's my dad. Like, creatively, Father of all relationally only father to those who, who call on him. Yeah, we know that. But in the Old Testament, you got to understand, 
That wasn't a word that was used to name God. Maybe like twice. And that's in kind of liberal translations. For the most part, he was not called God in the Old Testament. I mean, he wasn't called the Father in the Old Testament. Now, he did fatherly things, very uh, patriarch-type things, but he wasn't called God the Father. You know, this was an idea that Jesus brought in. It was, an, it was a, a, a byproduct of the grace that we were about to receive through his death, his resurrection on the cross, and the words that he gave us that gave us access to God. Like this ability for us to call him Father, that wasn't given previously. Now, again, he was the Father creatively and relationally, but it just wasn't one of his names. Most of the times in the Old Testament, the names of God were often attributed to what he did in that moment. Like if he was God that was healing, he was Jehovah Rapha. He was God the healer. Or, or, you know, even Yahweh, the proper name of God, most of the time in the Old Testament, they, or all the time, they wouldn't even write that down. They would replace that for Je- with Jehovah because they knew they couldn't dare utter those words or even write them down. But what they knew when they were readers is if they read that, what that really was was the proper name of God, but they dare not write it. Um, but most of the times in the Old Testament, his name was based on what he did. And now Jesus is coming onto the scene, and the very first thing he says is when you pray... Think about who you're praying to and understand who he is. He's your father. He's your father. And when you pray to him, pray to him as such. And we've discussed this. Like, this is probably a difficult concept for a lot of us now, especially when we're attributing fatherly characteristics to God because a lot of us may have had just, to be honest, terrible dads. Now, I didn't. I got a great dad. I have a great dad. He's he's an amazing man. Um, And he knows fire trucks really, really well, which is odd. Like my dad, to know fire trucks is weird because he never worked in the fire industry. He didn't. He was a, a designer in the engineering world. But for some reason, in his 40s, he developed a fascination with fire trucks. Either way, my dad was good. And so, like, I can think about the Waffle House conversations with my dad, and I can see, like, bits and pieces, like little glimmers of the way that God loves me through the way that my dad loved me. But I realize that that's not necessarily the way it is for everyone else. And so that's good and bad. Like for some of us, it's good because we had a good dad. We had a good dad, and we can, we can attribute some of the things that we think about our dad to God the Father. But for the rest of us, uh, maybe for the rest of you that didn't have a good dad, maybe you think badly about it, but here's the good in it. God can, through the way that he loves you, that we get to see evidence by Jesus, begin to redeem what a dad actually should look like to you. And we're, I'm not teaching a Father's Day message before we get to Father's Day, but, I mean, that's the good in that. Even though there's negative attached, there's pain in that. You had a terrible, maybe absent, abusive, horrible father. That's not God. That's not God. So in this moment, where you are, as you are, regardless of your past relationships, God can actually begin to redeem in you what a dad should look like, the perfect father. And Jesus says, when we pray, pray like this. And the very first thing that we say is, our father. Our father. And so I think for us that that should do a couple of things that we may not naturally do. Like I think for us, we've grown up in in an evangelical society enough to where we're like, yeah, 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 God's my dad. He takes care of us. He provides for us. Um, But for the rest of the world, that may not be the way that it is, especially in parts of the world where they didn't grow up with a a Judeo-Christian ethos, you know, that was was around them. And we can say that we're post-Christian and all that we want in the United States, but we are not there yet okay? Um, You know, there's still great evidences of God, and we can celebrate that, but at the same time, we take a lot of things for granted. And in this moment, I think for all of us, regardless of how we grew up, regardless of our upbringing, we need to retrain our brains, retrain our hearts, retrain our souls to actually think about what a good father really looks like and attribute those things to this God the Father that we get to pray to. He says, when you pray, pray like this. He says, not only our Father, but he gives him a location and he gives him descriptions. He says, our Father in heaven. 
And so now he's actually ascribing value to God based upon where he is. So he's giving him a title based upon what he does. He loves us like a dad, like a perfect dad, but he's not just any dad. He's actually a heavenly dad set apart. He says, our father in heaven, location, hallowed be your name. Your name is better. Your name is separate. Your name is other than. Your name is greater. Your name is holy. So he's like, when we pray, understand this first and foremost, who you're praying to. Who you're praying to. Now, we take that for granted most of the time, like who I'm praying to, but we actually do need to do the, the intellectual work, the heart work, before we begin to, to just mouth vomit all of these things out to God. We actually need to stop and think about who we're actually praying to. Like we talked about it a little bit last week, like these people were babbling on the street corners and babbling in the temples, and these people were repeating mantras over and over and over just to grab the attention of some foreign deity. But we, on the other hand, we are graced and mercifully given the opportunity and the access to speak to the Father of all. That's nuts. That does not equate in my finite brain to think that this God that made it all, he invites me to speak. Not only invites me to speak, but he implores me to beseech him and call him daddy. Shouldn't happen. It should not be the way that it is, but God, being rich in mercy, made a way for that to be the way it is. Not just any dad, not just a partially good dad, not just a dad in need of redemption, but the dad that offers redemption, the dad that authors redemption, the dad that that's his goal. This is the dad we get to talk to. He says that when we pray, it's to our father, your father, relationally tethered father who is beyond us, who should be by all means out of reach to us, but instead he's not. He's completely approachable, but he's still completely holy. And even those two things, when we put them on a scale, they don't balance out. To be completely holy yet completely approachable doesn't make sense. Doesn't work. But through God it does. And that should, even in the moments before we pray, like I should let this do this to me, that should, in the moments before I pray, that should blow my mind and break my heart a pretty good bit to think that the God I get to talk to, I should not be allowed to even utter his name, utter his attributes, utter his characteristics, utter the things that he does and use them as his name. I shouldn't be able to do that, but yet he wants me to. He wants me to, and he's made a way for me to. It's mind-boggling. It says, so when you pray, it's our Father who is in heaven, whose name is separate, whose name is better, whose name is holy. Hallowed be your name. The second thing that he, he gives us here, again, not a formula, but a posture. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second thing that he's giving us is this posture or this model of what it looks like for us to actually allow God's will to supersede our own. To allow God the Father's will to actually supersede our own. Because very often what we do when we pray, uh, we have our list. You know, we, we want our list. And that's okay. Like, I've talked about it. Like, yes, we, I, I do think, for me, it's very beneficial for me to write my prayers down well before I pray them. And, and, and make that list, so to speak. But what we do, we generally turn it, turn it into a laundry list or a shopping list. And we go to God. And we're like, hey, God. Uh, you're good, thank you, you're awesome. Hey, I need X, Y, I need Z, I need, you know, plus Y. I need all these things. Like, I just need them all. Fill in the blank, whatever it may be. But what we've done, if, if we've jumped right to that, is we haven't stopped to say, but, 
but God, I, I actually want to want what you want. Before I ask you what I think I need, before I, um, before I petition you for the things that I think that I need, uh, maybe I need to stop, and I just need to consider, what do you want? Because we talked about it a little bit last week, like the point of prayer is to not so that God can change, but it's so that we can change. Like his will exists, and the point of prayer is that my will and his will, they not be side by side, they not be parallel, but they be the same. Like prayer is not us changing God's mind, but prayer is actually God using it to change our mind, to bring our will in line with his. And so what we need to do before we ever begin to petition is we actually need to stop and we need to remember, number one, this is our father who we should not have access to, but we do. He is separate. He is other than. He is beyond us, but he's totally in reach. And in that moment, we stop and we say, because you are that God, that God who's out of reach, but yet you've made yourself available, I need to actually, before I ask you for anything, I need confess that your will is perfect, your will is right, and your will is what I want. Your will is perfect, your will is right, and your will is the will that I want. And man, some days that's incredibly hard because we just want what we want. We just want what we want. And we don't stop to ask God, hey God, tell me what I need to pray for. Like we talked about that last week. Maybe if we're starting this pattern and this, uh, this ability to pray well, to pray regularly, before we ever even utter a word of petition, we actually need to say, God, tell me, what do you want me to pray for? What do you want me to seek so faithfully that I ask you for it and then I pursue it? Uh, maybe before we even do that, another step in this process is we just need to confess and admit, God, your will is, is good, your will is right, and your will is the one that I want. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a confession. Before we petition, before we uh, toss out all the things we need, we need to have a confession that God, your way, it's the way. And, and that's the way that I want. But for us, that, that takes some effort. That means before we ever ask for something, we need to actually ask God what he wants. We need to seek him in what he wants. And, and we do that through his word. We do that through his spirit. We do that through his people. Do that through his word. Do that through his spirit. Do that through his people. That's the way we discover the heart of God. Through his word, through his spirit, through his people. I'll say it again. Through his word, through his spirit, through his people. We beseech the very heart of God to know what he wants. And that's what we pursue. That's what we pursue. Because of Jesus, we get to go to the Father with confidence, but we also get to go with confession that, God, your way is good. Your way is right. Your way is the way that I want. And sometimes we have to work to get there. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, audience. Like we talked about the audience, for them to hear our Father, they would have been like, uh, I don't know about that. But for them to actually hear your kingdom come, uh, the Jews, for the most part, they had been waiting for this kingdom to come. But what they thought that kingdom was is they thought that kingdom was going to be plucking Israel up and setting them down as chief of all. They thought that uh, this kingdom that would come would be their political, uh, their religious, and their, um, uh, their everything elevation above all. That's what they thought it was. But on the other hand, Jesus, like when we read Mark chapter 1 like two years ago, when, when Jesus came on the scene, like the bookends of his ministry, the first thing he said, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming now, and it's looking nothing like you thought it was going to look like. It doesn't look anything like you thought it was going to look like. It's not going to be your political retribution. 
It's not going to be um, your military uh, pronouncement over the people. It's not going to be Israel's elevation. No, it's going to be the heart of God on display in his people for his glory and their good. And when we pray, God, your kingdom come, that's, that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're confessing as God's will, God's desire, is that his kingdom would come the way that he wants it to for his glory and our good. And admitting that it's, it's his show, his carnival, his cruise, his circus, all of that, whatever metaphor we want to attach to that, like it's all his. And we just get to gloriously participate. But we don't make it happen. He does. And we have to, in a moment of confession, before we ever ask him for anything, like be in a posture, be in a position to say, God, it's all yours. I just want to want what you want. I just want to want what you want. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then verse 11. Verse 11, this is the place where we generally camp. And that's okay. This is not a wrong place. This is one of the reasons that God offers us prayer. But he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now in Greek, this is a little bit, it's, it's weird language. Because again, if, even if you read it, it seems a little redundant. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, in, in Greek, for the way that it was written, and especially to a Hebrew audience, uh, it would have been, uh, a little bit more like, give us today's bread and the day for the next morning, and the bread for the next morning. But basically, it was just a very simple confession of, God, just give us what we need. Just give us what we need. And that bread right there is a metaphor. It's quite literal, like we do need bread because we need to eat. We need the things that we need to, need, to eat, like we eat so that we can live, but we also need, we need health. You know, we need financial ability to pay our bills. Most of the time in this place, like, people were day laborers. Like, they had jobs that they could go to each day, but a lot of times they would get paid just for that day. Like, they wouldn't get a paycheck at the end of the week or the end of two weeks or the end of a month. They would get paid every single day. And that meant they lived day by day. They depended on the labor that they did to provide for them the next day. So they worked on Tuesday so they could pay their way on Wednesday. They worked on Tuesday so they could pay their way on Wednesday. In this place, same idea. God, give me what I need for today to carry me over until tomorrow morning. That's all. He wasn't saying, look, pray for your next 10 years. He was saying, pray just for the next like 12 to 24-hour period. Pray, pray for that. Maybe 36, depending on where we're talking about sun up, sun down. I know it's crazy for, for us, but it wasn't for them. And what we're saying in this, the subtext is that is God... I'm going to trust you with what I need for today, and then tomorrow I'll trust you for what I need tomorrow. Because I'm trusting you enough to know that if you meet my need today, you're going to meet my need tomorrow when I seek you again. Regularity. Because he's not saying, look, pray for the next two years, and after I meet that, come back then. He's like, no, just trust me for today. Trust me just, just for today. And trust me enough just for today to trust me that I'll be there tomorrow. And you seek me again for what you need then. And that's crazy for us too. Because we think I need to plan, I need to process, I need to save. And it's not, this is not an anti-saving idea. But it's just like there's a posture idea of here of just, God, I'm going to trust you today, but I'm also going to trust you tomorrow. And I'm going to trust you so much today that I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'll talk to you then. So he says, give us this day our daily bread, or give us what we need for today just to carry me over until we can talk again tomorrow. And then after that, there's some conditions. In verse 12, he says, and forgive us our debts 
Now, this is one of these words in, in, in Greek that only appears really here in one other place in Matthew. And so there's been some translational issues. And so it, it's translated debts here, but it's, it's literally meaning in the other times that it appears, it is like debts to God. It's not talking about financial debts. It's not uh, forgive us of what we owe to the college that we went to that we're paying until we're 60. It's not that. That would be awesome. Um, but either way, like it's not talking about that. It's like, hey, what have I accrued against God? And what is that? That's, that's sin. Like, forgive me of the things that I have put on my ledger that are against God, and that's, that's just sin. And it's just simply this, like, forgive us of those. Forgive us of those. Now, what we know as a result of Christ and as a result of salvation is that when God forgives us, when we come to him in faith and he redeems us, he forgives us of our past, our present, and our future sins, all of them. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west. And otherwise, in other words, they can't talk to each other. They can't be seen. They're gone. They're totally forgiven. But First John actually tells us, too, when he's speaking to believers... Confess your sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is not forgiveness for salvation. This is forgiveness uh, so that our restoration can occur in the relationship. When we have accrued debts against God, even as believers who have been totally and utterly forgiven to the point of salvation, we still have to take account and keep track of the things we've done against God so that we can seek his forgiveness and his uh, forgiveness and healing of those so that that relationship can be brought back to where it needs to be. Forgive us of our debts. Our sins against you. God, take care of those. Take care of those. The Father in heaven that we're speaking to through Jesus, by the way, forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of the things that we've done against you. It's a huge part of our prayer life, or it should be. Like it should be. Like I, I had a buddy of mine that was kind of a mentor, and he said, I'll never be sinless, but I should strive to sin less and less. And one way that we do that, here's an active participating step on my behalf to do that. I actually keep track of the things. I should keep track of the things I've done against God so that I can confess them to him. And over time, guess what? I should confess less and less because I should be sinning less and less because I'm keeping track of the things that I've done against God. And something in me should say, man... If I'm growing, if I'm maturing, if I am walking closer to God, trusting his goodness and not my own, his will, not my own, my life should start to look more like his. This is an active part of our passive sanctification, that my life should contain less sin. It should. And, and if I go back and I look and I am confessing the same amount of over and over sin today as I was five years ago, there's a good chance that growth hasn't occurred. There's a good chance. Because, by the way, sin's not okay. If sin was okay, this line wouldn't be here. Even for the life of those who have been bound to God through Jesus, sin's not all right. It's not okay. We don't entertain it. We don't let it hang out in the camp. We don't let it hang out in our marriages. We don't let it hang out on our phones. We don't let it hang out on our laptops. We don't let it hang out on our Netflix watch list. We don't let it hang out. Why? Because it's not okay. We know that right here when he says, forgive us of our sins. If it was okay, this line wouldn't be here. But it is here. We need to get rid of it. We need to confess it. We need to deal with it. And as a matter of fact, as mature believers, as people that have been following Jesus for a while, we need to deal with it before it happens, which we'll get to in one second. Forgive us of our debts. But then, also, he sticks a little teaching point in here. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us the same way in which we should have already forgiven people who have sinned against us. And this is a realization kind of a thing. If we're seeking God for something that he gives by grace, if we're his people that are submitting to his will, want his way more than my own, I should be doing the same thing. We're asking him to be charitable, we should be charitable. We're asking him to forgive us, we should forgive others. We're asking him to love us, we should love others. We're asking him to take me as I am, we should take others as they are. 
Here's a little bonus thing, and it's not even a point, uh, but it's a bonus. And I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 really quick, just for clarity's sake. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. The deal here is, if we understand what forgiveness looks like from God, we're going to be out to do it. We're going to do it too. As a matter of fact, we're actually uh, told later, like, we are to forgive others the way that Jesus forgave us. In Ephesians 4.32, like, you are to forgive others, and not just the one another's, but the all others. If you have been forgiven, we know what forgiveness looks like, what it feels like, what it affords us, how there's grace dripped all over it. If God's granted us that, we should grant it to others. Here's our bonus point before we even get to our application. Never ask for God, God for something that you would not be willing to give. Never ask God for something that you would not be willing to give if you were in a position to do so. Never ask God for something that you would not be willing to give if you were in a position to do so. Forgiveness is one of those things. We can't. Like, we can't. And it's not even a do not. It's just an understanding thing. Like, we really don't understand what forgiveness is unless we're willing to give it to someone else. I don't know that we understand what grace is unless we're willing to extend it to someone else. So don't ask God for something that you would not be willing to give if you were in a position to do so. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. In verse 13, this one's come under a lot of scrutiny because people are like, I don't understand. It's way simpler than we've made it. He just says this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are parts of this prayer, like I think there are parts of this prayer that should make their way into our prayer life. Uh, like we have in the beginning, we have praise, like a realization of who God is, where he is, how good he is. Like that's praise in a nutshell. Like God, you, you're our father. You're our father um, collectively. You're our father individually. Uh, you're our father creatively. You're our father relationally. That's praise to God because that's a big deal. No other God can do that. Can't happen. So we're praising him in that. Uh, you're, you're, you dwell in a heavenly place apart from us. That's praise. Hallow is your name. Holy is your name. Separate is your name. Better is your name. That's praise. We've got that. And then we've got a, a place of declaration. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This should make our way into prayers. Like telling God, God, what you want is what I want. What you want is what I'm going to go after. Uh, your way is right. Your way is good. That is what I want. Declaration. We have petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. We've got petition. But then we have this last part. This last part. And it's just simply this. We pray for deliverance. We pray for deliverance. And we're praying in this place, he's saying, lead us not into temptation. In other words, lead us away from the things that tempt us to run away from you. Lead us away from the things that tempt us to run away from you. How often do we pray for those things? Like, we recognize our sin. Like, I bet we do. Like, I bet you do. I bet I do. The things that, that get in my camp most frequently. Like, I know what those are. I'm familiar with them. First name basis. Like, I know them. Super familiar. But what I need to do is I need to look at the things that, that start before that sin actually happens. And I know what that is. And that what that's called is temptation. That's Satan's way of enticing me away, drawing me away. Because that's what temptation means, to entice, to draw away. And what we're actually praying here, before the sin occurs, we're actually praying, God, you know what? I know what your heart is about sin. You don't like it. As a matter of fact, we've already asked for forgiveness. And now on the heels of that forgiveness, I'm seeking you. Don't lead me back to that to where I have to ask for forgiveness again. Lead me in another direction. Whatever that sin is that gets in my life that causes me to take my eyes off of you, send me in another direction. Lead me away from that. It's that simple. 
Because again, sin is serious. If it wasn't serious, it wouldn't be here twice. But it is. When Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, like he's only giving them one line to ask for the things, the physical things that he needs, but he's giving them three lines to ask about ways to stay away from, ways to deal with, ways to avoid, and ways to think about sin. Why? Because it is a big deal. And I know we don't like to be told do nots, but there are tons of them in here. Like there are. Like if you start to read them, there are tons of do nots in here, and they all have reasons attached. They're not just some God throwing a dart and being like, yeah, I don't want him to do that today. No, there's a reason for all the do-nots. And in this place, he's giving us a practice, a posture, an attitude so that we deal with them before they even get here. God, you know the things that entice me away. Lead me away from those. Lead me away from those. Deliverance before we're ever even there. And then this last line, literal deliverance, says, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Depending on your translation, but the same idea. And that's, man, that's just, in the words of Dana Carvey, that's Satan. I mean, I know that y'all don't even know who I'm talking about, but that's Saturday Night Live, the church lady, great skit. Look it up on YouTube. Maybe a little too funny, but either way, that's all right. But here in this part, he's saying, lead us not into temptation. Lead us in the opposite direction of that and deliver us from evil or the evil one. Like, Save us from that. Save us from that. Like we have, man, we have praise, we have declaration of submission, we have petition, and then we just have us beseeching God for deliverance. And, and deliverance could be a ton of different things. Like each one of these things, like he's not telling us to pray these exact words, but he's saying pray from a similar position. Like some days your praise to God may not be um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, but it may just be, God, thank you for loving me more than anyone else ever has. Thank you, for, thank you for saving me. Thank you that you're the only one that can save me. Thank you for making my wife. Thank you for making my kids. Thank you for giving me this job. Whatever that praise may be, it's still praise, attributing something to God that only God could do. Praise. And then that declaration is, is saying, you know what, and God, I like the way that you've done it. It's just right. Help me know what you want next. And I'll agree with it. Thank you, God, that your way is better than my way. Help me know more of what your way is. And then petition is just simply in light of these two things. Like, God, um, show me what you want. And then we start to fill in the blanks. And, and God, I, I desire this. I need this. There's nothing wrong with telling God what we need. Like, we even talked about it during the time that we talked through money, this idea of money. Uh, maybe some of us, like, um, we, we can't make it with the job that we have. So maybe the thing that you need is just to ask God for a different job. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. You're not asking God for roles. You're asking him for what you need, and that's all right. Give me what I need for today. That may be a job. It could be a ton of different things, it, a ton of different things, and deliverance. Man, and the reason I say all of that is to get us from here. Like, man, some of us need to be praying for deliverance from a lot of different things. You know, it could be temptation, but the, the same idea applies. It, it could be deliverance from a, a dangerous relationship. It could be deliverance from, from, from mental illness. Not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not at all saying that, but deliverance in whatever way it comes. It may be deliverance from health issues. It may be deliverance from whatever it may be. But still, he's still giving us this position, this posture to say, God, take me out of this, whatever it may be. A couple of things about the posture that he gives us. 
Because I, I don't want you to think that this is a formula that we need to pray every day. And I'm not saying that this would be a bad thing to pray. I think it would be great. There's no way on any given day that if we prayed just this that it would be bad. It would always be good if we meant it. Now, if we're just tossing it up as like an incantation, then we're going back to the passage last week. Just empty words. It has to come from a heart in which we actually mean it. But here's a couple things. The posture that he's given us, this attitude that he's given us, it's entirely 100% about the who. Our prayers are entirely about the who. And by the who, I mean not the band, but the who we're praying to. Like to God the Father. Like it's entirely about that. We make our prayers so much about me that we even forget sometimes. Pardon me, let me use I statements. I make my prayers so much about me that sometimes I forget who I'm praying to. I forget I'm praying to the God that already knows what I need before I ask. And that's not telling me not to ask, but he already knows. I'm praying to the God that already knows my context, so I don't have to explain it to him. I'm praying to a God that already knows my sin, so I don't have to rationalize it. I'm praying to that God. It's entirely about the who. And this who, like our Father, heavenly, holy, revered, loves and is loved, uh, this informs everything that we say after that. Everything. If we just understand the who. And I'll be honest, apart from Jesus, we can't. Like, I'll give that away. Like, if you're here and you're searching for, like, how is it that we know God? Like, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, that here's the secret right here. It's only through Jesus. There's no other way. We're not going to understand him through intellectual pursuit. We're not going to understand him uh, through going to the best schools. We're only going to know him through Jesus. And do you know how I know that? Because Jesus told us that. Repeatedly. Scripture's attested to that. Repeatedly. This is not a mental exercise. This is an exercise of the heart. We're only going to know God the Father through Jesus. He will not be our Father otherwise. He'll be our Father creatively, but not relationally. It has to be choosing Jesus instead of everything else. Everything else. That's what lordship is. And that's the, the whole by grace through faith idea. Like, we, we can't know God without that. Can't. And I'll be quite emphatic about that. It's all about the who. The gift of a father that hears us, that wants to hear from us, that wants to speak to us, that desires for us to hear him, can't be overlooked. Can't be downplayed. Can't be sidestepped. It's big. It's really, really big. Like if we even think about the veil that was torn, like we celebrate that at Easter and on Resurrection Sunday, like the veil that was torn, that says you can come to me any time you want through that man that hung on a cross, died on a cross, and kicked death in the teeth and walked out of the grave. You can come to me any time you want. It's massive. Massive. It informs everything. My hopes my dreams, my fears, my failures, my successes, my needs, my desires. It informs everything. And if we're starting at any other place, we're just saying words. Just words. It's all about the who. The second thing that we see and that we can get to know through this when we get to look at Jesus, and he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm an exact representation of him. That's what he says. Uh, we know that not only is it about the who that we're talking to, but the who that we're talking to is entirely trustworthy. We can trust him. Like at Easter and on Resurrection Sunday this past year, one thing that we looked at is we looked at all the things that, that Jesus made happen after he already said they would. The impossible. He made the impossible happen repeatedly, and he had already told the disciples that he would. Over and over and over. And if we look at God correctly, think about God rightly and justly, we know that he can be trusted. And so that we know that if we're saying, God, your will, 
That's the will that I want. And as you revealed that to me, that is what I'm going to pray for. That is what I'm going to seek. That is what I trust you to see through, to make happen. We can trust him. Because when we pray, knowing who we're praying to, we also have to pray with trust attached. James 1 actually tells us that uh, we can't go to God without trust because then we're unstable. We're unstable in all of our ways. We're like a, a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We don't know which way that we're going. But if we know who we're talking to, then we can understand that he is trustworthy to hold my hopes, to hold my fears, to hold all of those things. And we can trust him to do with those things what he will and what he wants. We have to know that he can be trusted. We have to pray with that trust, and then at some point, maybe we actually have to be like the confession that we hear in the Gospels of God, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. We pray with trust, but maybe we need to ask for more. God, I do trust you, but I need you to grow my trust a little bit more. That's an honest confession, and that's okay. And maybe it, maybe it looks like, God, I, I pray enough to trust you with this. But there's something else I want to ask you to do, but I need you to grow my trust so that I can ask you for that too. And that's all right. That's okay. So maybe, yes, we pray with trust, but we seek God uh, for more, more of that trust. And maybe it sounds like this when we pray, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, and Jesus wasn't trying to put words in the mouth of the disciples, but from an attitude and a posture, maybe it's teach me, show me, tell me. God, teach me. God, show me. God, tell me. Teach me, show me, tell me. Remember, we get to know the heart of God through his word, through his spirit, through his people. The way that his spirit interacts with us is teaching us, showing us, telling us. Through his word, through his spirit, through his people. Teach me, show me, tell me. And the third thing I think we need to understand, and it's entirely informed by the who, is we need to understand that a good father wants to hear from his children. A good father desires to hear from his children. I learned this because I got kids. I, I want to, like, now granted, my children sometimes, they can talk a lot. Like, if you get either one of them in the car, but just, just with you and them, like on the way home from school, man, it is nonstop. It's like they start a two-stroke chainsaw, and it's just going to go. It's going to go until it runs out of gas, and kids don't run out of gas. They just keep going. And, they'll, and they've got pinball brains just like their dad, and so wherever that ball touches, that's what they start talking about, so there's no coherency there, and that's okay. But I want to hear from my kids. And I know that God uh, is, is a far better dad than me, because we're even going to see that next week. We're going to read that in words, like God's a far better dad than me, and I know that God, a good father, he wants to hear from his kids. He wants to hear about what we're hoping for. He wants to hear about what we're afraid of. He wants to hear about what we need. He wants for, to hear us say, God, you're good. I love you. Thank you for loving me. He wants to hear that, God, I trust you, but I want to trust you more. He wants to hear those things. He wants to, for us to, eat, to even hear us say, God, you know what? Last night I sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. He wants to hear all those things. Because he's a good dad. He wants to hear the daily breads. He wants to hear our prayers for deliverance. He wants to hear from our kids, his kids. Do you want to tell him? Do I want to tell him? Do, how many times, like just as taking stock of your prayer life, how many times have you just been like so fake with God? Like you just tell him what you think he wants to hear. And in some way you think I just pulled one over on him doesn't work 
There's no point. There's no point in the subterfuge with God. There's no point. Just speak from your heart to a dad that wants to hear from you. Remember who you're talking to. Remember that he can be trusted. And remember, he desires to hear from you. Why else would he make a way? Why else would he build the phone line if he didn't desire for you to pick it up? such a privilege that we get to talk to the Father. But we do. And I would encourage you the same way I encouraged you last week. Like, if you're struggling to figure out what that is, like, just, just start. Just start. Start with those things in mind, like who you're talking to. It's all about the who. Um, and and just, just start there. Just start there. And maybe if you haven't had this, this pattern of prayer, or this position of prayer, this posture of prayer, for the first while it may just be a bunch of thank yous because you've got a backlog to take care of. That's okay. That's okay. You could have a backlog of things that you want to, to seek his forgiveness for. That's okay too. Start checking those off. He wants to hear those just like he wants to hear the praise. He wants to hear those. And maybe, maybe after you get through all of those, maybe you get to the place of just... Um, Hey, God, right now, for today, this is what I need. He wants to hear those. There is one other thing attached to all of this. When he says, when you pray, pray like this, he does use that plural possessive word of our right there. And that may not say much to you, but it just further hammers home. He didn't desire us to live this life by ourselves. He didn't desire for us to pursue him as isolated individuals chasing after an unknowable God who's made himself known. No, he desired for a family bound together through Jesus with one Savior, one Father, and one Spirit in the name of one glory to pursue him together. And so I think here's an encouragement for us, and here's a little bit of direction for us. With this faith family that we get to call Origins, I think we need to share with, with each other what we're telling God thank you for. I think we need to share what we're telling God, uh, God, I, I want to trust you for. I think we actually need to share what we're telling God that we're sorry for. And then we need to tell each other what we're asking God to deliver us from. Our Father. Our Father. Our trespasses. Our sins. Our things. They're ours. He is ours. And we need to seek Him in a similar way. I think one way that we can do that is, uh, number one, just, man, we can't, we can't overemphasize this, is like just being together regularly, and that's not just Sundays. Now, granted, our community groups, they take a break during the summer, but we still have opportunities to gather together. We do it through the women's breakfast and the men's breakfast, but we've also got the prayer calendar that we've put together, and that's just one way for us to all be praying the same thing every single day. It's on a piece of paper. It's also digital. I know I went on a little bit of rant last week about how people don't read things. I'm sorry about that. I know that you can read. Just pick it up and read it. Take it home. Put it on your refrigerator. Do that. I know that you've all got refrigerators because you're all eating. That's good. Thank God for that tomorrow. Thank you, God, for the fried chicken of today um, or grilled if, you know, if you're broken. But either way, but we can do it together. And it just so happened that today is about prayer. And so this is what we're going to do for just a minute, just in like awkward silence, just in awkward silence. We're all just going to pray. And I, I'm going to tell you what we're going to pray. Um, I'm going to give you prompts before you do it. 
Um, and we're just going to take a couple of seconds for each thing, and we're just going to do it together. No music, no nothing, just nice, awkward, heads bowed, eyes closed, that kind of thing. So I'll start us. Go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads, and to the, together we're going to pray. God, thank you for the gift of access to you. Thank you, God, that collectively you're our Father, individually you're our Father, and you've made yourself known to us through Jesus. I thank you for allowing us to trust you and know you. And Father, as a family, thank you for hearing our prayers and thank you for desiring to hear from us regularly. Speak to us daily this week and remind us just to talk, just to share, um, just to cry out to you from the bottom of our hearts. And so, Origins family, for, for just a moment, thank God for three things. Just where you are, as you are, three things in your life right now. Be specific. Thank God for three things. When you're done thanking God for three things, ask him for direction about one thing in your life right now. Just in like, God, what do you want to do with this? Ask him for direction about one thing in your life right now. Ask him for one thing you need. One thing you need. It may be physical, it may be emotional, it may be spiritual. Whatever that daily bread is, ask God for that one thing you need right now. Confess one sin. One thing that you've known you've done that you haven't dealt with, whatever it may be, confess it to him, and that's just speaking it and with an honest heart saying, I don't want to return to it again. Just confess that in this moment. And whether it's that issue or something else that's more prevalent, Ask God to keep you away from it. Whatever that struggle is, ask God to keep you away from it, deliver you from that, give you the strength to resist, give you the family to hold you accountable for his glory and your good. And then as a family, where you are, I just want you to repeat these things after me, if you mean them. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, for loving me. Amen.